Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I'm committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Thriving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you're thinking about entrepreneurship or you've been in business for a while, this show has inspiration, information, and advice that you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid and unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who can contribute to your business success. I talk with leaders who have built thriving organizations and who are willing to share both the positive and challenging realities of the entrepreneurial journey. My name is Nikki Rogers. I am a transformation strategist and the host of the Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women leaders to develop the mindset, strategies, and relationships necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome thrivers to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Ethling Sawyer, who is the founder of Speak Right Play, a company that provides language services to individuals and companies. Welcome, Ethleen. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And we're just going to jump right into it. So, Ethleen, tell us about your company and what got you started on your entrepreneurial journey. So Speak Right Play provides English language services, like you said, and we do everything from editing and proofreading manuscripts for authors to ESL instruction to ELA tutoring. So we work with children, adults, Americans, people abroad, anything based around the English language, essentially we can assist. So prior to starting Speak Right Play, I worked at a university in their ESL department. So there were clients coming from abroad to the U.S. to learn English, whether for work or to go to school or for personal reasons. And I was having a conversation with one of the students one day, and he was just talking about how great I was, how I interacted with everyone and things like that. And we really got into the conversation. And he is really the one who kind of sparked this idea of starting a business. So I took about a year off to figure out where I was headed in life. And while I was doing refugee resettlement, that's when I decided to go down the entrepreneurial path. Wow. I hear you saying like this was something you were already kind of doing as a career, but then really saw a need in order to turn it into a business. And so as you were doing that work that you were doing and working with folks who really wanted to learn more about or learn or get more proficient in the English language. And I can imagine as you were doing refugee resettlement work, that probably became even more vital and important to really those people's those individuals' survival as they were coming to the U.S., what really sparked the idea of like, this can be a business versus maybe continuing to do it as a part of, as a service under a broader umbrella? So Speak Right Place started as an ESL-focused company. And as my clients had more needs, that's when 
the desire or the ability to fulfill those needs came about. And so that's what transitioned it from me just kind of doing it because I wanted to assist that population to me growing it and now having a team and things like that. So it was really from my clients expressing their needs. And I already had the background. I was well qualified to do editing. And people would come to me to edit their papers and things like that along the way since high school, really and truly. So once my clients started expressing that they needed assistance in other areas, that's when it was like, oh, well, I can totally do that and let's help you. Great. I love that. Like you already had a built-in audience and you were just providing as you learn more about what their needs were. So that's an awesome way to build a business. Because you already had the demand built in. Yes. (laughs) Love it. I love it. So, Ethleen, as you think back on getting started in your business, and how long have you been in business? So, six years. We started in October of 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, You made it past the mark. Most people made it further than like 50% of all businesses. So, congratulations on that. Thank you. Past six years of business, almost seven now, right? You said 2015? 2015. So as you think back on your past years in business, what have been some of the challenges that you faced either as you were getting started or you talked about having a team, you talked about growing the business. Talk to us a bit about some of the challenges that you may have faced. So I'll tell you the first challenge that I learned about maybe at the third year mark that I definitely, when I first started, because I wanted to just get clients, I can honestly say I lowballed myself. I didn't do as market research as I could have regarding the prices and things like that. I did do some research, but it wasn't as extensive as it could have been. And so when I started, I definitely had clients who were able to pay more for services, but because I already told them what price I wanted, they just kind of paid me what I said I wanted to get paid. And I found myself doing all this work. And at some point, getting to a place where I just thought to myself, man, I'm working so hard. and I'm not even making anywhere close to what I should be making based on the work, based on the results my clients were getting. So that was one challenge. That was one lesson that I had to learn. And then it was challenging then going back to my clients to say, hey, I'm increasing my rates so that I can be more competitive. And I lost people because I learned that people are okay with paying you less than what you should get. But when you kind of say, okay, well, this is really what I desire to make, or this is what the market says I should be making, then they're like, "Mm, maybe not so much. So that was a huge lesson. Another challenge with having the business was just dealing with clients. I struggled with getting the kind of clients I desired to get because I realized that I wasn't as assertive as I could have been with really making it known who I was targeting. I think it's important for entrepreneurs, especially those who are starting out. Maybe they're accidental entrepreneurs, or maybe they've been trying to plan their entrepreneurial start from the very beginning. I think it's important that you really do have your target client or customer in mind, because then that really takes out a lot of wasted energy from trying to sell to everybody. And the reality is you can't sell to everyone. And I had to learn that the hard way because I really was just kind of like casting my net, trying to see who would bite. And that was not the way to go at all. I had to really define my customer. And occasionally if people who weren't in my target demographic came along, I could decide if I wanted to work with them. But I started to really narrow in and focus on who I wanted to work with as my ideal client. 
I love that you talked about really raising your rates and losing some clients at that time. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they start out, they feel like they have to take every client, right? Mm -hmm. And they're a bit afraid to raise their rates because they might lose customers. But can you talk to us about what was the outcome? So you may have lost customers, but you raised your rates. At the end of the day, are you generating more money? You have more time, more energy because you made that decision? So I will say, again, we're probably at around the year, the second or third year mark when this happened and I lost people and it was a struggle for, I would probably say for that entire year, I really struggled to capture my target audience. And so, I mean, thankfully I did meet clients who, you know, they didn't even bat an eye when I told them my rate, it was wonderful. So eventually I was able to make up that loss that I experienced prior, but it definitely, it took a while to get my ideal client. And you feel like you made that a strategic decision, I guess. And what helped you kind of stick to that decision as you were going through that period of challenge? Like what kept you motivated? Like, oh, I made the right decision and I'm going to push through this. Well, I really just thought about it. I would constantly keep the numbers in my head. I was in New Jersey at the time. And if I'm looking at the New Jersey minimum wage and the fact that I had two degrees at that point, it's like, there's no way I can go back to what I was charging because I was experiencing such frustration. And I just remembered, I reminded myself rather of how unfair it was to me to work so hard into helping clients, knowing that other people were doing less work and making more money. And at the end of the day, I had to really remind myself, like, yes, I enjoy doing this. I love teaching. I love helping people progress in life, but it's a business. And so when I kept that in mind, it helped me stay the course. I love that. Love that. When we talked earlier, you just mentioned that you were in New Jersey at the time, then you relocated to Georgia. And so can you talk to us about following through on maybe strategies, ideas, your calling or your purpose? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about how that may have led you to Georgia, how it may lead you to other places. But can you talk about how that, I guess, that willingness to pick up and follow your dreams, how that has helped you really grow your business? Well, I can honestly say that the business grew during my time in Georgia. I moved to Georgia about three years ago. At that time, it was just me doing all the works. I was doing the tutoring, the ESL, all of that. And moving to Georgia was more so about being in an environment where there were other Black, African, you know, minority entrepreneurs who were thriving, because I'd often heard growing up, and even really an undergrad, because I went to school with a bunch of different people from all over at Howard. So it was really about being in the Black Mecca, so to speak. You know, Howard's the Black Mecca of academics. And so I'd heard that Atlanta really is where a lot of Black people are succeeding and thriving in business. So I moved here just wanting something new and and believing that this was the next step. And while I was in Georgia, I met some great people and a couple of them work with me now. They're on my team. And I think that the beauty of my business is I am not tied to one location. With the exception of maybe the clients that I work with one-on-one, I can do everything remotely. So there's a lot of flexibility with my job, regardless of whether it's tutoring, ESL, or the editing. I just need Wi-Fi and a laptop. I think that's great. And I think that's something as entrepreneurs, really thinking about how you can make your business less tied to place. Yes. And more tied to the connections that you need to make. 
which are not necessarily tied to place, but I really get this idea of wanting to be in a space where other people are thriving. I think that's very important because Mm -hmm. you can see it. You can see the success happening and then you can believe and internalize like that can happen for me. And it doesn't have to be a struggle because I can ask these other people what they've done. And that's kind of what I love about the podcast is listening to people's stories and saying, okay, they're being successful. I can do that too. And I don't have to make the same mistakes, right? I can make my own new ones. But (laughs) if if in talking to folks, I can learn like, okay, what was the challenge you faced and how did you overcome it? I don't have to make that same mistake. So I really get that idea of being in a place that supports that. So Ethelene, how did the pandemic impact your business or what were some of the shifts that maybe you had to make in the midst of the pandemic? I can imagine that particularly the audience that you work with may have had their own challenges in coming through the pandemic. And so how did that impact your business? So Nikki, you asked me earlier, how did I sort of adapt to letting go of some clients or some clients leaving because I increased my rates? Well, I'll tell you that Corona messed me up. That's the first thing, as with many Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. But I reflect on that decision to increase my rates and go after my ideal clientele. And Corona reminded me that that was one of the best decisions I've made as a business owner because I was fortunate and blessed enough that many of my clients were not impacted by Corona. So a couple either reduced their hours or they said, we can't continue. Many shifted to online, the in-person clients, they shifted to online. So this is for the tutoring. But the ones I work with now, once I said, okay, I'm comfortable resuming tutoring and things like that, they were like, yes, come back. We want you. Yes, we need you. So that source of income almost remained the same. Like I said, I lost a few, but not many. But I'll tell you, the shift that did happen with Corona was in the space of editing and the ESL instruction. So when COVID-19 hit, we pivoted and we did more with our editing. We marketed the editing more. I started doing more networking events, online networking events, and in trying to meet coaches and publishers and, and those people in that space, there was a greater emphasis on that because that's something I can do remotely. That's something I just need my Wi-Fi and my laptop. So that was the biggest shift. So now I would say a majority of our revenue comes from editing and proofreading and tutoring stayed just about the same. And then the ESL as the world, so we had clients abroad. So as the world was economically impacted, there was a drop in our ESL clients and that revenue. Mm -hmm. Great. You know, it's interesting what is, what still remains regardless of the economics, but I, I feel like your service is one that people desire because it's going to help them improve their lives. And so it's something they're willing to pay for regardless yes. of the circumstance. So I feel like you, you built a recession-proof business a bit. So Well, it is recession-proof, but I will say that more competitors entered the market, right? Or they ramped up their mm. marketing. I mean, we stayed the same. Our rates didn't go down, but I do know that more people are like, oh, we can do this online English teaching thing too. <laughs> but you do it better, yes. I'm sure. <laughs> So Ethelene, similar question, but in a a different perspective, what are some of the things that you're most proud of accomplishing during your time in business? So when I first started Speak Right Play, I told myself I would not consider myself a business owner until I had other people working for me and Mm -hmm. essentially making money for the business, 
right? That's when I would feel like I can honestly say, yes, I'm an entrepreneur. Yes, I'm a business owner. And that's for me. Some people, you start a business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner. But that was the goal that I set for myself. And so when I was able to hire someone and pay them for the entire year, like someone else's well-being, whether it was part-time or full-time, what have you, but they were dependent on income from me for them to live. Then I said, wow, I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) I love that. I think you're right. I love the fact that you wanted to create jobs, that you wanted to really, you know, leverage yourself. So you're not the only person generating revenue. You have others generating revenue. And I think that's key and important as you think about building, I always say I'm building an empire, right? So Uh the empire has other people helping to run the machine. And I know that's not everyone's dream, but that's really my dream for a business. Like I'm creating jobs, I'm creating opportunities, I'm helping other people fulfill their dreams. So I love that. So how many team members do you have now? So there are six, I believe we're six now, and we're looking to hire two more because we've recently launched some additional services. So that's exciting. So I recently hired two people in November. So I went from a team of one to three. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) It's like 300% growth in a month, right? So (laughs) can you talk to us about some of the lessons learned as you've been building your team? Some tips that you would share with business owners about what's the best way to build your team and maybe some Mm -hmm. things to avoid some of those lessons learned? Yes, I would love to share some lessons learned. So the first lesson learned is as the business owner, you should know how your business functions and runs because often the thought is I'm going to hire a social media manager or I'm going to hire a graphic designer or I'm going to hire this person and they're just going to do this for my business. As the business owner, if you don't have an idea of where you want the business to go, what you want the social media platforms to look like, like what do you want your Instagram page to look like? We have to be the ones to give those individuals the direction that they need. I think that if you are going to hire from abroad, talk to your tax person to make sure that whatever, however you're paying them works, but also making sure that you're looking for quality candidates and not just for the cheaper laborer. And that was a trap that I fell into. I cannot tell you at least twice I hired someone from another country and the work In the first instance, there was no way for me to verify that they were doing the work that they were supposed to be doing. And I would often get excuses and things like that. So I did not put in place systems to ensure that this individual was doing what they needed to do so that my business could thrive. And it was more of a headache for me stressing out if they were going to do what they needed to do than me just trusting that the work would get done. The Mm -hmm. second instance, I found that although the cost was less. Again, I couldn't trust that the timesheet and everything that they were providing to me was accurate or that I was really paying for the hours and the work that was being done. And they weren't like overcharging me for things. I just didn't have those systems in place. So definitely get the systems in place, whether you're hiring someone from abroad or from the US, just make sure as the business owner, you have a way to track that someone is doing what they need to do to help your business grow. Because your job is not to stress. The reason we hire people is so that they can kind of manage or handle certain things and take 
some of that work off of us. Mm-hmm. That was a huge, huge lesson. But I'm grateful for it that I learned it early on because now I guarantee you, Nikki, I have interview questions. I have certain parameters in place so that I know that the people who I'm interviewing, even at the very early on in the early stages, that they are good and they will assist me in the way that I need assistance. Right. Great. As you've grown from a team of one to a team of six, what are some of your tips for how you actually support team cohesion, team communication? Like what are some of your tips for as the company grows, maintaining that sense of unity, a sense of teamwork, while also managing that growth? So because we provide essentially three different services, we use different tools. I was telling one of my editors maybe a week or two ago that I have been searching for the ideal project management tool for us for editing. And that's because a lot of these tools are not created for businesses that provide services in different, like completely different spaces. And so one of the things that I did was I had to take my time to find the management tools that worked for us. And so my translators, my ESL instructors, we use one platform. And then my editors, we use another platform. And when we communicate, it's become a lot less messy. It was super messy in the beginning because We weren't sure if this person was getting the information or that person when they were doing what the work that they needed to do. And I had processes that were redundant. It was just a mess. It was really, truly messy. And so it's not every management tool or communication tool is for every business. So as far as communication goes now, I think it's a lot smoother and it takes fewer steps for us to ensure that things are being done in a timely manner. Did you feel like you involved your team in that process? My question is, how do you get people to take ownership in a way that you take ownership, if that's even possible? I don't think it's possible for them to take ownership in the way that I do, but it wasn't something that I involved them in, but it was something that I said, hey, we're going to try this. You give me your feedback. I mean, with one of the platforms, I didn't even have to ask their critiques, positive, negative. They were just like, we love this. This is amazing. So yes, let's stick with this. (laughs) Great. Great. Love Mm -hmm. it. So Ethelene, you talked about the different services you provide when the ESL instruction, the tutoring and the editing. Are your clients typically individuals or are you working with some of the companies and organizations that you had previous affiliations with, like the universities or the government organizations that were helping provide services that you previously worked with? So our clients are primarily individuals. With the ESL, we do occasionally work with companies or language centers who are looking for additional support for their staff or for us to go in and and do the instruction. Now, I did look into the procurement process. But with procurement, I found that one, it's a lot of work, but one, it's a lot of work because once you get in, you're almost guaranteed clients forever. But the procurement process was challenging for us because at that time, I did not have a consistent team of individuals working so that we could kind of go through the process and create the curriculum and things like that. So yes, primarily now we work with individuals, occasionally companies. Great, great. 
I think one of the things that we talked about previously was kind of your background. And so can you talk to us about your background before you started your company? Maybe some of those experiences that you had contributed again to you really being willing to take the leap to become an entrepreneur. Yes. So I am from Sierra Leone. I was born in Freetown and my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was young because of the war. So I grew up in New Jersey. And so when I, when I tell people I'm very much Sierra Leonean because in my home, we spoke Creole. We lived like Africans in America. And so that's how I grew up. My father had a business. And then in the U.S., he had a business for some time. So I think my family, were very much entrepreneurs. My older sister has a business. My younger sister, she's in school right now. But I think there's just something entrepreneurial in us. I think we're just those people. But I grew up watching my family, my parents, those in our community. It wasn't easy, right? And we have the typical immigrant story where you come here, you don't know the language, you don't know a lot of people. And I think one of the things that my parents really did, and my father in particular, I watched my father at one point, he was working three jobs. And my father and I are very close. So watching him go through all of that for his family was hard for me. And so I kind of made it my mission. And he only recently found this out because of something that happened over the holidays. But I told myself that I wanted to work so my father would be able to enjoy his life so that we could build a legacy for him. And he has daughters. He doesn't have sons. So kind of like he's the last in the line on his side, right? And my desire to work with the immigrant community stems from being an immigrant in America, understanding that it was a challenge. Like, yes, I came here as a child. And so it was easier for me to learn the language and really succeed in the education system. But a lot of people don't have that. A lot of my clients, they come here and they are completely lost and they may be here for 20 years and they're still completely lost. So that's really where my story, my desire will always be to work with people who find themselves in countries that are not their homes. Thank you for sharing that. Where we come from really shapes who we are. And I think for some people, it gives us the courage to do something that's off the beaten path, right? I think right now, entrepreneurship is sexy. Uh It sounds great, but a lot of people don't understand how much hard work goes into it. And I also say it's the worst, best job. I never knew I wanted. There are challenging days, but I would say my worst day as an entrepreneur is better than my best day at work. Yes. And I think it's hard to imagine if you haven't lived it. So I think you seeing it firsthand and really seeing, you know, one, the challenges, but also the rewards of it, which look a little bit differently than four weeks of vacation and all these things, right? It looks a little bit different. The rewards are different. But I think it's so important to have those role models, have that motivation, have the encouragement and support as you go through that journey. I hear so often from people who want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't necessarily have folks who support their dreams. Like people are afraid for them. They say it's too risky. They say it's going to be hard. But I love that you had those role models and the motivation to make your parents' lives easier. I feel like that's a generational legacy, like you're paying it back, right? So Ethelene, do you have any particular programs or initiatives coming up that our listeners should be aware of? So we 
partnered with an organization, a group, the Black Writers Workspace. They can go to our website, speakrightplay.com to find out more. Great. Thank you. What other places can people find you? So you just shared your website. What are your social handles if people want to follow you and see what you have going on? So Instagram and Twitter, we're Speak Right Play. Facebook, Speak Right Play English. YouTube, Speak Right Play in English. And I think in general, if someone Googles Speak Right Play, they will find us. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And we'll share that information in the show notes as well. So Ethleen, before we wrap up, there's two questions I always ask my guests. The first one is, one or two songs that are on your power playlist and why? So Mandisa put out a song years ago called You're an Overcomer. And when I am feeling really distraught and ready to give up, that is one of the songs I put on to remind me that there's nothing too hard, right? There's nothing too hard that can't be solved, that doesn't have a solution. So that's the first song. And then Jonathan McReynolds put out this song called Stay High. There's a line that he says about how even when people around you are doing dirt, even when you're tempted to be just kind of wallow in your sorrow and sadness or whatever it is that you're going through, just remain high because there's nothing too difficult or too challenging that cannot be overcome. So those are the two songs. Yes. I love it. I will be adding those to my playlist. And last question, what is one book that you feel has helped you thrive in business? So Muhammad Yunus wrote a book called Creating a World Without Poverty. I read it when I was in master's program. We were doing a corporate social responsibility. That was the lesson we were learning about. And I can definitively say that that book changed my life and it changed my view on business and the role of business. So it's just this idea of, yes, create a business to make money, but also have some sort of social change aspect to your business. Great. I love it. And how has that shown up in your business, either in how you built it or or some of the things that maybe you do in the community? So one of the things that we've done in the past is we work with shelters. We work with organizations that work with immigrants and refugees. So uh, whether it's donating money or our time to assist in those communities, my dream, I would love to be able to, and I actually have the curriculum all ready to go, to be able to offer my services to those who cannot afford it for free. And so that's what I'm working towards because then Speak Right Play has to generate a certain amount of revenue. So hopefully within the next couple of years, we'll be able to get there to really impact the community the way that I've envisioned for a very long time. I love that dream and I have no doubt that you're going to achieve it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Ethelene, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I learned so much and you've inspired me by just some of the, your approaches to life and to business. So there's hope out there. So I really appreciate you talking, you sharing and being so open about your experiences. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Nikki. I loved talking to you as well. All right. Well, take care. You too. 
you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend and then join the conversation on social media and let us know what you learned or what resonated for you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving. Thank you.